The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 15 of On The List. Today is Friday, February 22nd, and I'm your host, Austin Bristow II, joined this evening by Gabe Zemeet. Gabe, how are we doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Uh, I'm I'm excited. I've been listening for a little bit, and so uh, it's fun to, to finally get on here. Oh, man, I'm happy to have you. Uh, you're another one of our new additions to the Pitcher List staff, and I've really enjoyed getting to know some of you through these podcasts and some of the other stuff that we've had going on, whether it's the best ball drafts that are happening. Uh, we had those uh, movie drafts and TV drafts a uh, while back. Those are really fun. It's been a really enjoyable off season with all the new additions to our Pitcher List staff here, and it's been a it's a great time to kind of get in and uh, get to work. You know, don't you agree? Yeah, I actually some of those drafts I didn't take part in in any of those myself, but they have been so fun to just uh, to follow along and like I feel like a creep because I'm just I'm watching guys <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching guys take some of these people who are fictional characters and and then I'm sitting there and I'm dissecting it and I'm thinking like well that was a stupid pick or or oh my gosh what a value like. I can't believe that person fell that far. Like, you know, someone from the Sandlot uh, fell, and and it's just it's just so much fun. Well, it's been it's been great just to get that like the, the fun stuff. You know, some it doesn't always have to be about the numbers and you know always being right and stuff. We can, we just like to have fun with baseball. Exactly. Alrighty, so for those of you who have not joined us yet here on the list, each week I'll be joined by another writer from our Pitcherless staff. We'll talk baseball, we'll talk about what they've been writing recently, and we'd like to do a mailbag session at the end where we answer your questions on the air. So you can send those questions to us via email at community at pitcherless.com, or you can send them directly to myself on Twitter, and I am at Bristowski. Gabe, are you on Twitter, my friend? I am, and I'm at Gabe Zamit, so that's G-A-B-E-Z-A-M-M-I-T. Man, that is very straightforward and simple. Yep. <laughs> Try to keep it that way. Seems like that's the way to go when it comes to Twitter handles. If you get too complicated, it's hard to say out loud and hard to explain it. It's just, it's here's my name, that's where I'm at. Right. 
the nice thing is I don't have to worry about anyone else. Uh, <laughs> my my name is pretty unique, so I don't have to worry about being like Gabe's Meat Two or you know whatever. <laughs> sure, I I don't know that I've ever met any Austin Bristow the seconds. I know that there is a uh, professional skateboarder named Austin Bristow that comes up if you Google my name uh, without the second on there. Uh, I think there's also like a vocal coach that comes up that's named Austin Bristow. Um, So my name isn't common by any means, but there are apparently uh, multiple people who are who have found some acclaim who have my name. So it's uh, it's a little funky thing there where I am even with the picture list stuff. Now, I am not the first one that comes up if you were to Google me. Which, of course, I'm going to do now. <laughs> I oh, feel like fantastic. I have to. <laughs> well, all right. So at this point, we may as well hop on into it here. If you want, we can uh, just get on into it. I'll give you the first, you know, the little softball question here. Just tell me a bit about yourself, if you would. Yeah. So um, I live I live near Chicago, about an hour west of Chicago. I'm, I'm married. I have a 13-year-old and uh, work as a music director and pastor at a church. So, uh, you know, most weeks I've, I'm spending my time with a guitar uh, slung around my neck or something like that because I'm just, you know, uh, working through music or something like that. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of the gist of things. And then baseball is my, <laughs> is my hobby beyond that. So I just, uh, I love uh, baseball, fantasy baseball, um, all, you know, everything that comes with it is just so much fun. And, and this year, um, I, I started as a contributor for both picture list and friends with fantasy benefits. So it's been new and exciting for me to, to do both of those things. And I'm kind of, uh, getting into the swing of things when it comes to writing and, uh, being on pods and making sure that I can back my, <laughs> my claims up. So I'm not just saying this guy sucks, but I can actually say he's, you know, I don't like him and here's why. Yeah, that's definitely important. And I would love to say that uh, Justin Mason's running a great site over there with Friends of Fantasy Benefits. We've got a oh, couple of our he's writers. He's awesome. Oh, he's, he's awesome. Great guy to work with, too. Uh, we got a couple of our writers who I think are both pitcher list and uh, working at FWFB over there. Um, Dan McNamara, I think, is over there as well. Is that right? You know, I'm still trying to <laughs> I feel so bad. I Like, you're outing me right now. I'm still trying to get used to ev- all the names and everyone. Um, you, you'd think I'd be good with names considering my profession, um, <laughs> which that's always the worst, you know, when hey, someone it's all comes good. Up you here. haven't been there for too long. You kind you of know, have that excuse still, but it, it, you know, that's that thing. I, I joke about it with people, but when someone comes up to you and they're like, um, you know, Hey, how's it going, Gabe? And I have no idea, like no clue who you are. Like I, your face rings zero bells oh, and man. I just have to go. Uh, I've got two choices. I can either just go, Hey man, or, or I just go, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. What's your name? And usually I go with the first, the first thing and just try and play it off. That's, I think we've all been there at least once or twice. And it's just it's, like, it's oh, man. For me. like I, uh, in college, I went to a very, very small college. It was uh, 700 total students there. So, um, 
pretty much everyone knew who everyone else was. You at least saw them around and you like vaguely knew, yeah, they're associated with like basketball or they do, they're in this fraternity or something like that. So you vaguely knew about people because there was only like 500 some kids on campus. So every once in a while, though, it seems like at least like once or twice a month, we would see an a person that you've just never seen in your life <laughs> and like it was always wait how is it that i have never seen this person and it was it was a consistent thing and it's it still amazed me almost every time because it was just i i was very active on campus i was in a bunch of different organizations i was in student senate and things like that so i was always talking with just about everybody on campus and i was so like baffled that there was someone that I had never seen. And I was just like, wow, that's, that's a person that I know exists now. <laughs> right. And then you have to figure out like, are they, do they actually go here? Is it, are they visiting it, What? Yeah. I, I went to a small school too. So it's like my school is about 800 or so. It's about the same size. And yeah, I've, I've been there and you look at them and you know, you're just like, I like, are you a spy or is that, is that a thing? Does that, yeah, that's I I, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and now just you know you're you're up in Chicago. I'm in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina here. So, in living in the city, it's just like yeah, you just kind of see people, and you're just like, wow, well, well, that's a person I'm never ever going to see again in my life. So it's right. just kind of two ends of the spectrum there. But there you go. So on the more fantasy related end here. Uh, how many fantasy leagues do you play in? What kind of league is your favorite, etc.? All those kind of stuff. Tell us, tell us about what you do with the fantasy here. Uh, I I try to stick to roto just because that's my season long roto. That's my preference. And so right now I'm in about I, th I think I'm only in five. I might be in six. <laughs> I should know how many I'm in. Um, I promise. I, I like I'm not that irresponsible. At the uh, point where you can't keep track. You I might know. be in too many. <laughs> I know. I know. It's it's hard because I, I, I don't want to commit to more than what I can focus on. And so that's where I try to be careful with that because, you know, you, you want to strike that balance between, you know, your your real job that pays the bills and then what you do for fun and then also family because that's super important, too. And yeah. yeah. And uh, but yeah. So I do. I love season long Roto. Um, I'm in a couple dynasty. I'm actually in the middle of, of a dynasty draft right now for a startup. It's 20 teams. Um, and we, I think, I can't remember how far we're in right now, maybe like round 12 or 13. Um, I, I just had a couple picks before, uh, we jumped on the pod. Um, cause yeah. I, I had the, I had the one pick. So, um, that, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, cause I've not done a 20 team, uh, league before. So it's, it's super deep. Uh, but then I'm also in uh, head to head categories league. And, um, you know, I did a points one last year and I, I didn't really care for it all that much. Uh, but it was, it was fun because it's a different experience. So, um, yeah, those are, those are the leagues that I'm doing right now. Good stuff. Yeah. And my, uh, in my 20 team dynasty, when we did our original draft, I was actually in the 20th spot. Oh man, um, that turn is brutal. It really is, and I we did ours our draft about uh, it been about two and a half three years ago now, and um, I distinctly remember taking 
like eight hours this was our clock i think and i distinctly remember taking almost all of it because i with my first pick the 20th pick i was debating between um will myers who was coming off an awesome season and madison bumgarner um i ended up going with will myers as my first pick and i think uh like starling Marte is my second or something like that um so which both of them were pretty okay. Um, right. Yeah. Myers was That's good. Not, you could have done worse. Hurt. Yeah, I definitely could have done worse. Like, I ended up trading Marte before the season even started um, for Andrew Benintendi. And oh, that's not bad. <laughs> that was uh, that was the year that Marte got suspended. So, oh my gosh, it ended up doing very well for me. Um, so that was that was a good swap I made there, and Ben Benintendi's been great on my team ever since. So that was isn't, prob- there, isn't there always a part of you like when you get a trade like that where on, at the offset you're like, yeah, that's a, that's a good trade for both of us, but then you know someone gets suspended or someone gets hurt, there's a little part of you that feels guilty. Oh, absolutely. Like I distinctly remember it happening and thinking, oh man, well that sucks yeah you're like well it sucks for you <laughs> like i almost i feel bad because i i i genuinely like this guy and i i enjoy competing with him and he's a great addition to the league and everything and it's just like well sorry <laughs> right. nothing i could have done about that so it's just you you don't you don't do anything you don't like retract a trader or anything like that but it's you, you kind of feel like you ought to for whatever reason even though you know there's nothing that can be done right it's just yeah. one of those weird things about baseball where like yeah you make that trade and a guy gets hurt right after it's like do you do something or is it just where it's at right but there you go so let's see you are from chicago then um so i gotta assume you gotta be rooting for one of those two chicago teams as your I favorite i am Yep, I am. I'm a, I'm a White Sox fan. I, I'm a White Sox fan, but there there are, um, you know, there are two types of Chicago sports fans. So there's Chicago sports fans who um, solely root for their Chicago team, whether it's the Sox or the Cubs. And then there's those sports fans who will root for a team and, uh, you know, not necessarily despise the other. And I fall in the latter category. Like, I'm not a Cubs fan, but I'm not one of those who's going to be like blasting them and if they're doing fine, that's great. I'm happy for them because it's a Chicago team and I've got a lot of friends who are Cubs fans. Uh, they're obnoxious, but you know, I still like, they're still my friends. Um, so as long as they're not playing the Sox, you know, for anything important, I don't care. Like in that, and then of course there's always that dream that some year the Sox and the Cubs will play each other in the world series. But I mean, the, the way the Sox look now, it's not going to happen anytime soon. I feel like, you know, they're on different ends of the bell curve right now. Oh, hey, man. I mean, with Eloy coming up and uh, things like that, the, the I'd say the Sox are definitely on the up and up at this point. Yeah, they, I think they will ascend. And then the Cubs, I think, will start the, a downturn. And so they'll like they'll, they will pass each other, you know, in the night. But I, that's just the dream, I think, for, for a lot of Chicago fans. And, and whichever one won the World Series, you know, the other – I actually probably both fan bases would just riot. You know, there there would just be chaos in the streets in Chicago. I mean, after the Cubs won in 2016, there were literal riots yes. in Chicago. Oh yeah. And I was 
you can't you listen guys listening can't see but i'm holding up my fingers and i am i was this close to going up to chicago because i was going to school um down near peoria illinois which is only about like a two-hour drive away and uh after they won game seven i the only thing that kept me from going up there was that i had um biology homework to do (laughs) still (laughs) Because I had, I hadn't done it because I was watching the game. I like I that like, you still remember uh, what it was for. Not, oh, not yeah. just that you had homework, but it was biology homework. It was biology homework because I I remember because I that was like the only science class I took. <laughs> I am not a sciencey person, and so that was like the only class I had to take to you know graduate and everything. And I distinctly remember: is it worth going up and like? I, I don't know where I would have stayed. I had a friend that went to school up there, so I probably would have been like, hey, can I bum on your couch or something? I don't know oh, what sure. the plan would have been. But, like, there was a huge part of me that was like, man, I ought to go experience this. But yeah. probably a good call that I didn't. Probably. I, I had a friend that went because he was given tickets. And I'm still to this day, I'm like, I cannot believe someone gave you tickets to go to the Cubs world series games. Like that's does it like whether you like the team or not, if you are a baseball fan and someone gives you tickets to go see the world series, that's like the greatest gift you will ever get. Exactly. Like I, I I have never seen playoff baseball um, of any sort, like in, in person, I would love I've also never been to opening day. I would love to do both of those. Oh man, that'd be awesome. Do do opening day um, wherever. I don't even care which park it's in. Like I'd love to see my Braves play opening day, but um, I mean, if you're at a baseball stadium on opening day, I feel like that's that's just the dream, right? Like, right. What, what more could you want as a baseball fan? Right. And really. I agree. Even if you don't like baseball, playoff baseball is so intense and has such a great energy to it that you ought to go to the game if you get an opportunity because it's it's going to be so much fun. The crowd gets so into it and it's great. Yeah, I mean that's that's something I would encourage anyone to even even if it's not playoff baseball. Like so, so my um, you know my family they don't they don't necessarily care for baseball all that much. They are they love that I love it. But we like to travel, and regardless of where we go, if we're close to a stadium and it's baseball season, that's one of my things is I'm like, we have to try and go to a game. If there's home games, we have to try and go. And so, you know, we went out to Seattle and we got to go to see a Mariners game, and I saw Mike Trout hit a home run. Actually, nice. it was actually it was a game where he hit two, uh, which was because he destroys the Mariners. Yeah, it was, oh my gosh, it was so cool because, you know, I'm, I explained to them, I'm like, okay, he's that's the best player like in the universe right now. And literally, as I'm explaining that he just jacks one over like straight away center. And it was so awesome. Perfect. That is perfect timing. Yeah. I, uh, I'm going to get to go out to Seattle and see a game at, uh, now T mobile park. Yeah. It's been <laughs> renamed. Oh, geez. It's going to take a while to get used to. Um, but I'm going to go get to see a game out there, uh, during my honeymoon. Actually, I, somehow, oh, nice. I somehow convinced my soon to be wife that we ought to go see a baseball game during our honeymoon. And, uh, somehow she went for that. I'm not sure how that's awesome. That, but <laughs> so that's, we got the tickets already. It's going to be great. All right. So, with your White Sox there, do you have a particular favorite player? 
Yeah, I, I've, I mean, it just from the standpoint of, of White Sox, um, Paul Canerico, I mean, you can't, he's, he's just awesome. You can't go wrong with him. He is like, you know, a stand up guy, uh, just consistently a great hitter when he played for the Sox. And if you are a Sox fan or you grew up in the Chicagoland area, you know, he's just synonymous with the White Sox, you know, him and Frank Thomas and some of those guys. Um, he's just, he's just so cool. I love, like, <laughs> it sounds so bad. I'm like gushing about this guy who, <laughs> but he's, he's awesome. And then, um, beyond, beyond that, because I, you know, it's like, I can't, it's not like I can root for him anymore. Um, I have such a man crush on Bryce Harper. He is, <laughs> he is, he's one of, he's so divisive. Like, I feel like people just love to hate him because he is so he's brash and people think he's selfish because you know he still hasn't signed yet and all whatever but i just think he's he's just awesome like he is and part of it's probably because in a dynasty league i'm in um i've owned him forever and so i've i've kind of gone with the ups and downs you know and uh, gotten so frustrated when he had the down years that where I'm thinking about trading him. And then, you know, I relish in the, in the up years. And so he's, he's just like, I feel like he's like family and <laughs> I just think he's awesome. Like I, I love him. Yeah. I, uh, I, when, when Manny Machado signed, uh, this past week with the Padres, um, as a Braves fan, I was very happy that he wasn't going to be out with the Phillies. Oh yeah. And I tweeted directly after I saw it that, uh, all right, cool. Now we just have to make sure Bryce signs outside the NL East. And I am actively rooting for the White Sox to sign Harper. Oh my so, gosh. That's the dream. <laughs> that would be amazing. Or I don't even, honestly, if it's the White Sox, if it's the Giants, the Dodgers, I don't particularly care. I just don't want him in the NL East. Right. But yeah, understandably. I man, I'd love for the White Sox to sign him. They're, they're just, you know, their their management is cheap. The White Sox management is the same management as the Bulls. And so year after year, you know, as a Chicago sports fan, I've watched them not pay their players. And yeah. so I just, you know. I, I will hold on to that glimmer of hope that maybe they'll sign him, but in my heart of hearts, I know they're not going to. Yeah, and that's uh, that's basically where I was at in the whole thing. Like I thought, oh, you know, Manny Machado would be really great as a third baseman for the Braves, and then I just it it, it was never really realistic. I don't think because we we're never we're not really a big market team by any means, and we also have a very uh, we'll say thrifty. Uh, management yes. team and yep. ownership team there. So, I, I was I was very happy when we got Donaldson. We'll we'll go with that, and I think he could be very good. Yeah, I like him this year actually a lot. So that could be good. So now I know you haven't been with us too long here, but I love this question. So, is there an article that you've written that you are particularly proud of? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I'm really proud of. Actually, some work I did for the Friends with Fantasy Benefits draft guide, uh, which is called the Fantasy Benefit. And I, I did write-ups on the White Sox. I did a write-up on the Athletics. And then I also did an article on the top 100 outfielders, which when you know when they were, they were handing out assignments, uh, no one claimed that one. And I couldn't figure out why, because I'm thinking, why wouldn't you want to write up you know, your top 100 outfielders? And then I, so I said, yes. I was like, yeah, put me down for that. And then I figured out why it's because ranking and writing about a hundred outfielders is not 
it's not fun. It's it's fun the first like 50 guys, and then you get past 50 and you're like, oh my gosh, this sucks. These, there's you know, you so many. There's so many, and and it, it's so fluid. And so I, I was proud of how it turned out. I'm actually, uh, I'm I'm revising it right now. And that's the, the other cool thing about that draft guide is if you if you get it, um, you know, it's it's a living guide up through the start of the season. So a lot of the guys who've wrote those articles have been updating them. And that's what I'm working on right now is I'm updating that hundred outfielders because there has been uh, quite a few guys actually who, who my mind has, has changed on slightly. And so I'm kind of sliding them up or sliding them down or, or whatever in, in my own rankings. Makes sense, which is a good parallel to my rankings that I've been updating throughout the off season here, getting that monthly update in on, Whenever, you know, someone signs here or I reevaluate someone there, things along those lines. So makes a lot of sense. And it's a it's nice. Like it's great work that you guys are doing on um, that draft guide and everything else you guys got over there. Yeah, for sure. All right. This last one here before we get into our rankings debate, which is going to be on the first half of our outfield here. What do you like to do outside of the baseball realm? Like uh, we know you love baseball. We know you're on with us writing for us and friends of fantasy benefits but what do you do outside of baseball i mean my i'm i'm a homebody my one of my favorite things is just to hang out with my family i I love my family i love traveling with them we you know we're we're actually headed out uh for vacation next month where we're going to drive um uh, out of town which will be really fun and on a long trip so I love spending time with them. I love music. It's it's part of my job, but the cool thing about that is uh, I enjoy it. So a big part of my life is playing music, whether it's guitar, or piano, or you know singing or whatever. Uh, and then and then beyond that, I just I'm like a total nerd. <laughs> so I love like comic books and video games and you know Star Wars and stuff like that. Like that's just I I, I love that kind of stuff. Good stuff. Are you excited for Captain Marvel? I <laughs> oh, that is not the response I I'm, wanted. I'm indifferent. I'm indifferent. I I it looks cool. Um, there's a like I want it to be really good. Um, I'm I'm actually a little bit. There's been there's just been so many comic book movies the last five or six years. Uh, I feel bad saying this because like 13 year old Gabe would be this is this is the dream but you know as as i've gotten older it's just there's so much that i feel like they're they've kind of lost the cool factor and and they're not as exciting um so i don't know that that being said i'm gonna go see it oh yeah Um, i'm i'm a huge mcu fan i've seen every single mcu film in theaters so uh, my brother was texting me this morning, actually, saying he just got his pre-order tickets for Captain Marvel, and I'm probably gonna do the same after we're done recording. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Like I, I, I say I'm not excited, but that's, uh, like I say that now, but I know my reaction will be the same as every every time I sit in a theater and and I go see you know uh, a Marvel movie. Um, like I'm I'm literally you know just I'm so excited. I'm like jittering you know in my seat and it's to the point where you know i've my wife looks over and she's like are you okay (laughs) and i'm like yes i'm just i'm excited you know and that's like i i i'll i'll get there i'm just not there yet i understand i get that all right well 
with that, we're going to go ahead and get on into our rankings debate here. So if you've been with us for the past few, you know we're going through position by position, rank, going through my personal rankings and having our writers here debate uh, guys that they think I might be too high or too low on. And we this week, we are doing the first half of our my outfield rankings here. We're going to split outfield into two like we did with starting pitchers since there are just so many like we were talking about before. So with this one, uh, it's going to be uh, the number one ranked through around 35-ish is where we're kind of cut, cutting that half off there. So we've gone through and Gabe has given us a few guys here that he thinks I'm too high on, a couple he thinks I'm too low. And we're going to get it started with the first one here, who is another Chicago name, Chris Bryant. So you think I'm a bit too high on Chris Bryant here. I have yeah. him as my 10th outfielder, yep. uh, 30th overall. And if we compare that to the NFBC data, I pulled that up earlier and I grabbed the uh, latest ADP data from uh, January 1st on. Uh, they have him at an ADP of 34, which yep. makes him their 30 or their 13th outfielder. So I'm slightly higher than them, but not, uh, I would say egregiously so at this point, but uh, you still think it's a bit high. So uh, give me your case here on yeah. Chris Bryant. Yeah, I, th I think it's, you know, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, so high that I, I would, you know, it's going to turn my head if you draft him or something like that. But it's, I think it's a, it's a philosophy thing. So I, I do have him ranked even a little lower than that. I have him 16th in my outfielder rankings. And part of that is, um, it, it just, just what we haven't seen from him that, that I think we're, we've all been expecting. So last year was a down year. And, and I think a big part of that was probably the injuries. Um, so I went back and I was looking today and I'm trying to pull the positives. And one of the things that Chris Bryant has done really well um, and hopefully I'm not, <laughs> I'm not stealing your points here, but he's, he's dropped his K percentage a ton. Um, his, his walk percentage is, is, uh, you know, pretty, it's pretty good. It's down, it was down a little bit, but it's still at a really solid level, uh, which makes him really great in OBP. But what I don't like about Chris Bryant is, uh, he's just not, he's not hitting the ball as hard as you'd expect for someone who is touted the way that he was touted. So, you know, when I think of Chris Bryan, I think of the guy that came in the league and, and people are saying, oh, my gosh, he's going to be a 50 homer guy. Um, you know, one of the one of the elite power hitters and he just hasn't he hasn't gotten there yet. And so I actually went and I looked at his because I'm trying to figure out why I looked at his uh, baseball savant page and he's um, he's trending just in in the in the wrong direction um, in some categories that that concern me. And so that's just where I'm. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be in on him where he's going. I I would love to own him, just not where he's going in drafts, because uh, I'm looking at, you know, his his exit velocity. He's he's the 12th percentile in exit velocity, which is not good, uh, and that's dropped three years running. His hard hit rates dropped three years running. His barrel percentage uh, in 2015, which that was one of the breakout years at 11 and a half percent, was down to nine and a half last year. Uh, you know, so I, I just, I think he's, I think he's a good, a really good baseball play, player. I think he's like a 25 to 30 homer guy, but then I look at him and I go, so where he's going in drafts, what's the difference between him and someone who's going later? Like, uh, and this is at, not in the outfield, this is at third, but you know, Eugenio Suarez, like I would rather wait and take Suarez than, uh, jump in on Chris Bryant earlier. 
Um, so that's that's just kind of where I'm at. I, I'd be interested to hear your uh, your take on him because um, I'm not saying he's bad. I just wouldn't take him where he's going. Sure, and I could totally understand that. Uh, for me, I think that 2018's like downturn in his statistics and mainly the power there hit only 13 home runs last year in 102 games. Uh, I really think that was mostly due to the shoulder injury that he was playing yep. through pretty much all year. And if he's going to be healthy this year, which is still a pretty decent if, because uh, I don't believe he had any kind of surgery or anything to fix that. Um, but there have been reports saying that his shoulder is at full strength, things like that. All that kind of, you know, best shape of your life sort of thing. Best shape of your life. Training. But... If we assume that Bryant's shoulder is 100%, if he's back to healthy again, then I see no reason why he could not go back to 2017-16 numbers of hitting 30-plus homers and having a 290 batting average. Like, I understand the like the baseball savant numbers are down, but I think that is mainly due to that shoulder. It's really hard to swing a bat with any kind of authority if your shoulder's bugging you. And... The Cubs had him play through it a lot, which is something I really don't like to see uh, when teams do that because I would much rather them like have them sit, get, get it fixed, and then get them back on the field when they're ready to go. Right. Um, because I'm always afraid that if you play through it, you're going to aggravate it more and injure yourself further. However, if we assume, and I know that that's a big if, if we assume that Chris Bryant is going to be healthy coming into 2018, then he's got the potential to give you first round numbers here. Like he could give you realistically 35 home runs, a 290 average, and 200 plus runs and RBIs combined. Like that isn't very much not out of the realm of possibility. I mean. If we look at what he did, uh, 15, 16, 17, that was basically where he was at. In 150 games there, he was doing 26, 39, 29 home runs right around that 290 average. And I really do think a lot of this was due to his shoulder. Now, there's also been some talk about uh, the Cubs uh, batting coach last year, Chili Davis, who's no longer with the team. I believe he's now with the Mets. And how he was specifically did not want the Cubs hitters to try to hit home runs. He wanted them to have kind of an all-field sort of approach where you go the other way more often and uh, aim for more line drives as opposed to um, fly balls and things like that. And it seemed that most Cubs players outside of... Uh, Javier Baez seemed to have a down year offensively, right? Uh, whether it be Bryant, Rizzo, or otherwise. So there's some talk about whether Chili Davis had some kind of negative influence on the Cubs there. And now he is out of the picture, and they've got another uh, batting coach in there. So maybe it's a little bit of both for Chris Bryant between the shoulder and the hitting coach. Whatever it may be, I really think he's... He's got tremendous upside. We've seen that before. And I think that uh, at his price of, you know, a third round pick, I think you've got a pretty solid floor because I I don't see him hitting le- fewer than 20 home runs. I just don't see that happening again. I think last year was an anomaly. And I think when we'll look back on his career and say, wow, what happened then? Oh, he hurt his shoulder. 
Um, because I really just don't see that happening again. I think he's a 25 to 35, really 20. I could see him hitting upwards 35 home runs this year and I wouldn't be surprised at all. So I, I like Brian. I really do think he's going to come back to towards the levels that we've seen and like in his first three years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would agree with you. Like that is for sure. The ceiling is, um, you know, cause he's done it. So that, that, that 16 season that you cited where, uh, he, he almost hit 40, he hit 39 homers, but then, you know, 120 runs and, and over hundred RBI. I mean, that's, that's incredible production. He also had almost 700 plate appearances. So like, yes, that's, that is the, you know, that's the perfect season from Bryant. Um, it's just, it's, I think it, it, a lot of it depends on league context. You know, he would be hard for me to take with a, with a second or early third round pick in a 15 team league, but I think in a 12 team league or something that maybe I would, I would jump in on that. It, it, it all just depends. Um, you gotta know your league too. You know, if you're playing in an OBP league, I would for sure jump, I think on that. Um, and it might Absolutely. even, it might even be a buying opportunity if you played in a dynasty league, this might be the one time where maybe you can get him not even probably at a discount. Cause I think anyone who owns Bryant knows the potential ceiling, but you might be able to just get him period. Yeah. I actually did take Chris Bryant in our current best ball draft. I think this is the third one that the pitch list staff is doing now. Um, and I took him in the third round with a 34th pick and I felt very happy with that to get him at 34, uh, I think the downside is what we saw last year, but the upside, like I said, could be that first round value. So I was very pleased to be able to add him to my best ball team there. Yeah. All right. So the next guy here, I'm really interested to see how this conversation goes because I absolutely love Aaron Hicks. Um, I had to go and check and see, and I actually am the highest in the fantasy pros expert rankings on Hicks. Um, I have him at 62 overall, which makes him my 19th outfielder. And if we compare that to the NFBC ADP data there, his ADP is 121, making him their 36th outfielder. So I am taking him twice as high as they are, um, and I've found that I haven't had to draft him as early as I have him ranked. Um, but I've gotten him a lot around like the 80, 90 range in a lot of my mock drafts I've done thus far. And I'm very happy to do that. But you still think I'm a I'm too high, which I very well may be. I'm the highest in the industry, apparently. So uh, give me a case for maybe pulling the throttle back a bit on Aaron Hicks here. Yeah, so uh, when I looked at at your ranking of Hicks, I saw you had him 19th, and and I kind of did a double take uh, <laughs> at first because uh, you know on, on NFPC he's 80, he's thir- the 36th outfielder off the board, so that's a 17 right. 17 pick difference, you know, just an outfield. Um, so I'm trying to look at some of the players who are taking in between and thinking up the the guys that you're passing on, you know, to take him that early potentially. I had him. Uh, 28th in my own outfield ranking. So I thought, I actually thought I was higher on him than than most people. Um, So I was ready. Oh my gosh, Austin, I was ready to put you on blast, man. I was like, (laughs) 
I was like, oh, this is going to be too easy. Then I started looking at his numbers and, uh, and I, I could see it. Like I can, I can see why you have him that high. Um, because he, he does have, uh, the tools are there and this is the first season where he's really gotten the at bats, uh, you know, last season, 2018. Um, so just looking at his numbers, uh, so I can spout that off for, for people to hear. He had about 580, uh, uh, plate appearances and 27 homers, 90 runs, 79 RBI, 11 stolen bases. So he's, he's, you know, he's checking all the boxes and the only knock on him potentially is, is that batting average, which was 248. So that's, um, that's kind of my thing with, with the uncertainty is, uh, last year was the first year we've really seen it. Aaron Hicks has always been this guy who's kind of teased us. Uh, I remember, taking him in a lot of leagues and it, and it never panning out cause he would get a little bit of hype. And so then I'm, I would reach for him and then you get nothing. And last year was the first year where he really got the, the full, you know, full time at bats and you saw something from him. So, um, I, I actually, I like Aaron Hicks quite a bit, but my thing is I, I can't, I can't see taking him ahead of some of the other guys who, you know, who you have behind him. So, uh, you're looking at like Mitch Haniger, which actually I looked at your list and you don't like him at all. So that might be a no, bad. I do not. Mitch that Haniger might be a, I have down at a hundred. Yeah. So, so I, I saw that you don't like him. Outfielder. Yep. But then other guys who are, so I would say they have similar profiles because they're guys who kind of contribute across the board. Haniger has a, has a better, um, you know, he, he's going to give you a better average, but then you've also got someone like Tommy Pham who is going to give you a way better average. Um, you know, and, and then, uh, Michael Conforto, who's got a lot of helium right now, who, uh, I, 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 I don't know if I could put Hicks ahead of him. Um, you know, Lorenzo Kane, uh, uh, which actually, um, I think you have, if I remember right, you, you might have Kane ahead of Hicks. Um, but there's, just, I do, I've got Kane up okay. at, uh, 14th oh, in okay, my outfield okay. rankings. So he, you have him inside your top 20. And I feel like if you've got a guy in your top 20, if I'm taking someone in the top 20 outfielders, I want someone who I know is a lock. And part of part of my what I basically I guess what I'm asking is I'm asking you to convince me I I'm redoing my outfield ranks right now, Austin, and I want you to convince me why I should have Hicks higher because I can't do it. So I moved him up to 26th. And beyond that, I don't know. It just. The scary thing is he hasn't done it for more than a year. Uh, so I feel like I'm paying for team context and that's a dangerous game to play because that doesn't always work out. If he doesn't hit, you know, his, his career average is 236. So if he does drop an average again, then, you know, is he going to drop any order? Um, which that's going to affect all the counting numbers that's going to affect, you know, everything across the board. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at is I, I see the, the potential and I see the ceiling and that is a top 20 outfielder, maybe even a little higher, but the downside for a guy who is, you know, 29 years old and is just now experiencing that breakout is right there too. And I can see that more clearly. Yeah. I am pulling up right now. I want to see his, um, I want to see his stats from, let's see, August of 17 through 18. So I'm pulling that up 
as we speak here because I think he really made a pretty significant change when he came back from injury in the second half of 2017. Um, yeah, from that point forward, in 165 games, so little over a full season, uh, he hit 32 home runs, had 14 stolen bases and hit 243. So the batting average still is a bit of an issue there. Um, but he also in that time, again, a little over a full season, had a hundred walk, 104 walks and 136 strikeouts. This guy has some awesome plate discipline numbers. Oh, for sure. Um, he's got a 15 and a half percent walk rate last year. And that is due to a really interesting approach that I'm not sure he's still using, but I read an article. This was about a year or two ago would have been, um, I believe it was in the late 2016 season when he was kind of breaking out and people were like, wait, is Aaron Hicks actually kind of good? Um, <laughs> and basically what that article had to say, if I can remember correctly, is Aaron Hicks never swings at pitches in the top half of the strike zone ever. <laughs> he just doesn't. It's either the top or the bottom. And I'm nearly positive it was the top. He only swings at pitches in one half of the strike zone. And because he does that, he ends up walking a lot because pitchers will try to pitch. I believe it was only, he only swings the ones at the bottom. So pitchers try to try, try to get him to chase up. And because he's never um, swinging at anything that is even remotely high, he will never chase up. Now he ends up swinging at everything in the bottom half in that case. So he ends up chasing down fairly often. So he still has, um, a, he still strikes out a bit. So he's got 19% strikeout rate last year, which is pretty solid, especially for a guy that's going to give you 27 home runs. So the thing that I really enjoy looking at when I'm trying to project him going forward, he had a 264 BABIP last season. And for a guy that's hitting at hitting 21% line drives, especially in Yankee Stadium, I think that should definitely be closer to his 2017 uh, BABIP of 290. So if we have his BABIP raise, you know, almost 30 points there, that could be a uh, that could be his, a batting average raise of you know 20 some points, and he's hitting upwards of 275, 280 at that point. If that's the case, then he's going to be a, a guy that's threatening for 30 home runs while hitting around 275 and stealing 15 bases, which is n close to like second round caliber player. And I, I legitimately do believe that is the kind of upside that Aaron Hicks has. And if we want to get even more gushy over Aaron Hicks, because that's basically all I'm here for <laughs> at this point. Um, there was a report last week that he will be in the mix and is probably the uh, leader right now, most likely to hit leadoff yep, for I, yeah, that's the what I New saw York too. Yankees. Mm -hmm. uh, which, if you just want me to remind you of the top of that order real quick, just no, just because, uh, right now, Roster Resource has the top of that order, Aaron Hicks, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and Gary Sanchez. Right. That's if, pretty if insane. Hicks is hitting in front of Judge, Stanton, and Sanchez, he could score 120 runs. Yep. 
Like, that's not even a little bit out of the picture, especially with his on-base skills. If he's, if he's getting on base at that 360 or even higher clip, he's going to score a ton of runs out of that leadoff spot there. So there's my case on Aaron Hicks. And I understand the track record isn't necessarily there, but I believe in his plate skills mostly. And I think he has the tools to come through and give us that big season that we haven't yet seen from him because honestly he just hasn't been on the field he's had some injuries uh when he was with the twins they never really gave him an opportunity and so he's now going into his age 29 season and really has only played one full season last year with the yankees so i don't think a lot of folks realize kind of the tantalizing skills that he does have and i think the Yankees actually do. They seem, even with their crowded outfield, they seem really committed to getting him every day at bats in center field there. So I'm, as if you can't already tell, I'm very excited about what Aaron Hicks might do in 2019. Yeah. And I, so the thing that I didn't, I didn't realize before I really dug in was I knew he was a walker. I didn't realize how high a percentage and the thing that that you gotta like about that is, especially if he's batting leadoff, um, you know, everyone, every every player has slumps, and they go through periods where they're just not, they're not, you know, they're they're not getting on base the way that you'd like them to. And so those guys that do have a higher walk percentage, um, you know, they're finding different ways to get on base, and that's valuable because you are still gonna hopefully get some runs out of that. Um, you know, you're going to maybe get a couple steals in there. Um, and you, they're more likely to stay at the spot in the lineup they're, they're in if they're not an established veteran presence. And so that's, that is something that I do like. Um, I, I would be curious to know how much higher you would even have him in an OBP league, because it sounds like the, <laughs> the way that you, that you're gushing over him, you might have him, you know, top 15, maybe even higher than that. Um, if I look at things now in an OBP context, I would take him over Reese Hoskins. Yeah. Um, I would, I would be close on Whit Merrifield, but I don't think I could get him over Juan Soto. So, and I don't know that anyone else. Well, Starling Marte would probably fall out of the top fifteen there, uh, because he just doesn't walk. Right. Um, I don't think anyone else would fall out. So he'd be right on the cusp of 15 there. Cause mm-hmm. I've got Soto at 16 who would probably move up a spot. So I would, I might have Hicks in an OBP kind of a uh, format here at 16 or 17 above Reese Hoskins and maybe Merrifield who are, who are the two that I have right ahead of him. Right. Right. Yeah. Which I have totally, I mean, Soto is awesome in OBP. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Soto in OBP is ridiculous. And I actually own Aaron Hicks in an o- my OBP Dynasty League. So uh, very happy about that. I picked him up a couple years back off the waiver wire when no one thought he was anything. And I didn't think he was anything. Oh, he my was, gosh. He was just hot at the time. And I saw he walked a fair amount. And I was like, oh, cool. I can get some cheap uh, OBP if they're going to give him at bats. And then I was like, oh. Oh, he's he's amazing. He's really good. Yeah. (laughs) 
So yeah, there's my Aaron Hicks case. I know it was a little long-winded there, but uh, if you aren't yet convinced, if you really want to like Aaron Hicks, uh, I have to give a shout out to our colleague Dan McNamara, who wrote a fantastic piece on Aaron Hicks last season. Um, you could probably go find that. Just uh, kind of Google picture list. Dan McNamara, Aaron Hicks, it'll pop up at that point. Um, it was very, very good. And it was him basically Dan saying, hey, guys, uh, I know we think Hicks is good now, but actually he's really, really good. And so <laughs> Dan and I are on the same page. So I'm sure he would uh, he would probably back me up for my aggressive ranking of Hicks here, even though, like I said, I very well may be the highest in the industry as far as that goes, which, like I said, I don't have to take him at the 62nd overall spot. I don't need to take him in that fifth round there because his ADP right now is still down at like 120. So I'm very happy to grab him right around like 80 or 90 like i said before so if he's gonna fall like that then i will absolutely grab him and i'm if if the regular is 120 then i'm gonna reach for him because i believe that he's got that kind of potential that we talked about before right and if he performs the way that you're talking about then he's he's even then still a value for you where you're taking him yeah, I mean, if he performs, if he does this, like the ceiling I was talking about with that uh, thirty fifteen and a two seventy five average, that's like a second round player. So, right. hey, we'll see, man. I mean, I don't have him ranked as a second round player because he's still definitely there is that downside and that risk. He hasn't done it before, so fingers crossed. I'm I'm excited to see uh, what he could do there. Yeah. So. A couple other guys that I want to mention briefly that you brought up that I'm too high on. Um, David Peralta and D. Gordon. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on Gordon because we, um, Matt McLaughlin and I talked about him during the second base discussion. Um, I like Gordon. I think he's going to – I think the batting average can come back. Um, I'm assuming you just kind of don't. Is that the, basically the Gordon case there? Yeah. Give me like a spark notes of your the, argument. The D. Gordon argument is – the dude so first of all you know he's not he's not batting in the top of the lineup anymore so i think the last time i checked he's batting he's batting ninth i think uh i think that's the plan yeah so that mixed with the fact that he he's like allergic to walks so he doesn't he's and, and his batting average is dipping too so i don't i don't want any part of him where he's going because it it, it all it all is pointing towards uh, a collapse and uh, you know I, I don't want to pay for you're paying for speed if you're getting Gordon you're, you're getting him because you want that speed and if you're not if he's not getting on base he's he can't steal he can't steal if he's not getting on base so True. I just don't I don't want a part of him where he's going um, I, I, I don't think there's any value there um, and then as far as Peralta goes if it you know just real quick with Peralta, I actually like David Peralta because he he's not going to hurt you anywhere. But but that's also a reason to not like him um, because he he's not going to do anything exceptionally well. He he did hit 30 homers last year, but I don't I don't think that's real. I mean, he's never been that guy before that. He never topped 20, um, and you know he's he's 31. So it just seems like one of those outlier. You know, if you owned him last year, good for you type of a deals. But I. I, I wouldn't want to pay up for that this year. That's that's just that's that's me. I'd rather I'd rather grab someone who 
um, you know, maybe who, who I think has a little bit of a higher ceiling. Cause I don't see David Peralta's ceiling as what he did last year. I think it's more likely that he's a maybe like 20, 22 Homer type of a guy. Sure. And I'm looking at it now and I'm going to be honest, I didn't realize I had Peralta as my 23rd outfielder and he definitely needs to go down from there. I think I got a little too excited on last <laughs> year and I, I, now that I'm looking at his numbers, I agree. That's probably the outlier season because he's going to be 31. Um, so I'll probably bump him back behind the likes of Hanniger and Puig, Conforto, those kinds of guys, probably closer to D. Gordon, who yep. I have at <laughs> 33. And I still kind of like D. Gordon in that spot, so uh, we'll see about whether I end up moving him down. Because I've got him behind Malik Smith, who is has usurped him as the Mariners' leadoff hitter. It's funny, I actually have uh, Hanniger, Smith, and Gordon at 31, 32, and 33 all in a row. So My weird gosh. coincidence there. <laughs> But all right, let's go into the guys you think I am too low on. And these guys actually have already come up in this podcast yep. because uh, we're going to talk about the guys who I have at 16 and 17, Juan Soto and Whit Merrifield. So let's start with Soto here, uh, the phenom of last year who came out of literally nowhere. I really love that when everyone's asking the question of fantasy analysts, who's going to be the next Juan Soto in 2019? No one. No one. <laughs> You can't, no one. you can't predict that. Because he was on nobody's roster. Right. Like, starting Not, the year. Right. Zero people drafted him. He he had a ADP of no way, man. So Because he was in A-ball. There, he, even the prospect analysts had no idea that he was going to just destroy the miners like he did and then come up and even halfway succeed at the majors he was not expected at the majors for another two years maybe even three like what he did last year was literally unprecedented and historic so the answer to the question who's this year's uh juan soto is literally no one maybe ever again right so that's a silly question but he, with Soto, I have him as my 16th outfielder at 45 overall. Um, and if we compare that to the NFBC ADP there, they've got him at 32, as, and that makes him their 12th outfielder. So I am definitely a bit lower on them there, and uh, you think that I ought not to be. So give me your case for Soto here. Yeah, you're not – and that's the thing is you're not so much lower on him where uh, it's, it's a shock or something like that, but – uh, you, you know, you're right. Soto is um, Soto is a special case. And the things that he had going for him last year were uh, he like he had everything going from last year. So he had uh, Michael Taylor, who is, you know, he's Michael Taylor. So he, <laughs> uh, he's he is, you know, he is what he is. And then you had uh, every, the breakout everyone uh, everyone thought was coming from the Nationals roster last year in the outfield was was Victor Robles. And he, uh, you know, he got hurt. So, so and Adam Eaton got hurt and Adam Eaton got hurt. And so, uh, they, they kind of had to force Soto up to the major league roster and anyone who plays in a dynasty league has known who Juan Soto is, uh, because he is one of those guys who had a high ceiling and, 
uh, everyone knew, you know, he's going to be a good player. But, you know, even those guys could not have predicted that it would have been last year. I don't think anyone would have would have thought it was last year. So you're totally right there. But we we saw just what a special player he is. So, um, you know, I, just just to read through uh, some of his his numbers from last year for those who um, might not be aware of how good he was. Uh, he just had 494 plate appearances, so he was only in 116 games. He didn't even play the whole season. And just in 116 games, he had 22 home runs, 77 runs, 70 RBI, five stolen bases. He walked at a 16% clip, which is unbelievable. He was 20, 20. Um, or no, he was 19. 19. He, was 19. he turned 20. He had. Yeah, that's right. He turned 20 and if, in October. And if you look at it, that was. This past season was literally the greatest uh-huh. teenage season of all time. Right. Like, if you look at other teenagers in the majors, you've got, like, Bryce Harper and um, some other, like, all-time right. greats. I think, uh, like, Ty Cobb came in as a, as a 19-year-old. Yep. And Juan Soto was significantly better than all of them in their age 19 right. season and not even in a full season and so he so he batted 292 with a, four, with a four, uh, 406 six. obp i mean that's like that's that's hard to fathom you know you don't see that from some of the the more elite players who've been who are you know in their prime so uh, yes, I I think that you know he, he's he's only 20, so I think there's probably going to be some parts of his game that are going to be exposed. I'm sure now that pitchers have been able to see him, you know they're going to be able to to game plan for some of the th- some things because he's not he's not perfect. He's not um, the type of hitter that Mike Trout is or something like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But uh, it, it you know I just look at him and I think okay, so he's got a full season. Uh, up ahead of him of, of playing time you know granted he doesn't you know have some horrific injury or something like that so i i feel like what's in within the realm of possibility is 25 home runs maybe more if because his power is going to continue to develop as he's not even like like i'm trying to think of what i was doing when i was 20 and i, I wasn't jacking 25 you know bombs you know in the major leagues not even close oh, exactly but so i i think he's going to have 25 plus home runs that's within the realm of possibility 90 run 90 rbi you know maybe some somewhere around there depending on how that lineup turns out and then you throw in a handful of stolen bases on top of that that's incredibly valuable and so i look at the guys who are going ahead of him in in drafts and some of the guys that you had ahead of him um particularly uh george springer uh and and lorenzo kane you've got those guys right ahead of him and those are the two where i was like man i uh, like i i can't take I don't think I could take those two guys ahead of Soto, um, just because the the ceiling seems so much higher for him. I personally, I have him ranked 11th, which is uh, it's not that much higher than NFBC, and it might be because I'm I'm all aboard the hype train with him. Um, <laughs> but I just I, like I, I look at him and I think if he did that as a 19 year old, you know, even if he slides back a little bit. Uh, He's he's going to have the full season of at bats, and and with the full season of at bats, he's going to be he's going to be pretty good, pretty darn good. And that's that's especially with the plate skills that he's shown, that's something that I would want on my team because that's you know super steady. He's going to fill fill all your categories with the exception of being you know a stolen base monster or something like that. Um, but even there, he's not a zero. So 
yeah, I, I would be interested to know why, uh, you know, you've got him at 16 and uh, not that you're that much lower on him. Sure. Well, I would like to say just one more time since we're, you know, really kind of emphasizing how good he very well may be in his career. I've heard comparisons to his ceiling could be Albert Pujols. Oh, my like, gosh. Like I've heard people like intelligent baseball minds. I have heard compare him to potentially Albert Pujols. And I don't necessarily disagree. He's got the plate skills to make it happen. And if he develops into a bit more power, he definitely could do that. Um, however, I think drafting him in the first three rounds for next season is for a redraft, I think is a bit risky. Because I do expect the power to regress next season. He had a very high, well, I shouldn't have very, it's a high ground ball rate of 54%. And his home run to five ball rate was pretty high as well at 25%. Um, he hit the ball with authority, which is what you want to see from a guy for who's going to be hitting, you know, 25 plus bombs, hopefully. But I don't know that if he has his same... Um, batting profile with that his uh, fly ball rate was only let me see here pull it up real quick his fly ball rate was 28.8% so basically 29% there usually for a guy that we want to hit hit for power like challenge for 30 home runs you would like to see their fly ball rate be closer to 40% so the fact that he's under 30 is a bit concerning to me and I know he's got kind of a contact oriented swing um, and he's just kind of come in, coming into that power just because he does hit the ball quite hard um, my concern is he just doesn't hit it in the air enough and that home run to fly ball rate could come down and I, I would I would not be surprised at all if he hits fewer than 25 home runs next year. In fact, if we if we set the over under at 25, I think I would probably take the under on that one. Oh wow! Which that may be like some kind of bold prediction thing. I I think I'm probably in the minority when it come in that uh, belief, but I re I do realistically think that is a possibility. Now that said. He's still in my top 50 overall players because I think the 290 batting average and the nearly 400 OBP is very real. I think I'm looking at uh, five different projections for him on Fangraphs here. The bat has him hitting 292. ATC has him at 290. Depth charts has him at 292. Steamers 292. <laughs> and the fan projection is 291. So... Pretty much everyone thinks he's going to hit 290, and I don't disagree with that. He's got fantastic uh, bat-to-ball skills and that amazing plate discipline as well, so he knows how, when to hit his spots. The thing that I would push back on is all of them have him hitting 27 to 29 home runs, and I just don't know that he's going to hit for that kind of power if, he is, if he's hit, still hitting the ball on the ground. Now, it could be that he gets with their um, hitting coach and makes some adjustments. He's going to be 20 years old. There are definitely adjustments that can be made. Um, but at the same time, I'm a big believer in that sophomore slump as well. So I think with now having an entire offseason of video and data on him, teams are going to attack him a little differently, and he's going to have to adjust to their adjustment now. Um, so I... 
I very well think he could be a fantastic player. That's why I have him in at 45 overall. I'm not saying he's going to be a bust, but I'm, I don't think he will return second or third round value where I've seen him being drafted. Let me pull up here on NFBC. I want to see what his minimum draft was, the highest someone has taken him. Let's see. 18th. 16th. Oh, you got 16th. I got 16th here is what I'm seeing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm not. Wouldn't take that there. sounds silly. 16th overall. That's basically at just in at the beginning of the second round. Right. But on the other side, the lowest anyone has taken him is 46th, which means I'm not getting any Juan Soto this year, which is fine with me. I understand that if I'm ranking him with a spot and I'm not really willing to take him much higher than where I've got him ranked, he's going to be taken ahead of that in almost every single draft, which I'm I'm at peace with that. I, if I don't get any Juan Soto this year, I just don't, and I fill my outfield with other players because I... I truly believe that he's he is worth where I've got him ranked. I mean, why else would I rank him there? So that's where I'm at on Soto. It's just I'm a bit concerned of the of specifically the power regressing. Yeah, and I and I think that's a valid concern. Um, uh, you know, I just I look at him and I'm I'm optimistic. I'm very optimistic, and I'm I'm hoping that. Uh, like you said, he kind of, you know, maybe he's able to tweak that launch angle a little bit more, get some more b- balls in the air, and and we do see uh, a growth in in uh, just across the board for him. And you know, it's it's very possible. Oh, it definitely is. I think it it may be just as likely that he hits 22 home runs next year as it is that he hits like 30. I think the the probability of both of those is probably just as likely. Very similar probability that he does either of those next year. Right. So, and alongside a 290 average and a 400 OBP, if he's in an OBP league, then I'm okay with him being close to the second round. That's fine because there's not a lot of guys that are going to give you a 400 no. base, but he legitimately could even as a 20-year-old. Right. Right. And I, I love that he's batting cleanup too. I mean, that's that's going to be insane, especially with that average. So even if he's not hitting home runs, he's going to be getting you a lot of RBI batting cleanup with, uh, you know, who's, who's he got in front of him? Trey Turner, Anthony Rendon, Adam Eaton, you know, when Adam Eaton's not dead, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a pretty good one, two, three right in front of him. Absolutely. Yeah, I think he could definitely be very good. And I don't necessarily think he's going to be bad. I just don't think he's going to be as good as people are drafting him to be. Totally. All right, now the next guy here, I have literally directly after him. I've got I've got Soto at 45th overall in my 16th outfielder. My 17th outfielder at 46th overall. Back-to-back players here. Whit Merrifield is that one here. So uh, Whit, I have... Like I said, 46th. And if we compare that to the NFBC data, they're taking him 30th overall. So they're taking him ahead of Juan Soto, which surprised me. Um, they That makes him their 11th outfielder. So they're basically back-to-back in uh, NFBC as well, just higher than I've got them and swapped, 
which right. I understand that Merrifield is a very hot source of steals. He was the league leader in steals last year with 45 uh, and had a 300 batting average to boot. So I I understand why people are doing it. It's just, man, I am not willing to be the one that takes him that early. But uh, go ahead. Try and convince me otherwise. So, yeah, Merrifield, there's, there's just so much I like about him. So, first of all, I've got him – I have him 12th, so I have him right around where uh, the NFBC has him for outfielders. But – you know, let me let me just count the ways that I love Whit Merrifield. <laughs> uh, first of all, he's he's second, and then also outfield. So that having that dual eligibility is huge, especially in uh, you know some of those deeper leagues. So if you play in in a in a 15 team league, having that flexibility as the season wears on and guys are getting hurt, or you know maybe they're just not performing the way that you want them to, and you can slide other guys around is unbelievably valuable uh so he's got that and then like you mentioned you know he he was uh just a a monster when it came to steals last year so 45 steals which i'm pretty sure led the al uh or or was Uh, it all of baseball yeah so led the majors uh that's that's crazy and he had 12 home runs on top of that which was really nice so he's giving you production in, in every category, he's he's got uh, home runs. He's not a zero there. He's giving you uh, a really great source of runs. He had 88 runs last year, and his RBIs was okay, but he plays for the Royals, so it's like, who's he really going to bat in? Exactly. Um, that's that's the biggest – my biggest problem with him is the Royals are just so bad. But he's still – even with the Royals being bad last year, which I actually think their lineup is better this year than it was last year, um, even with, with that being said – uh, he, he still produced. He's just, he just is, is someone who every time I, I looked at the box scores at the end of the night, I'm always seeing something out of Merrifield. And that's something I just, I, I love to get out of my players, especially in a Roto league is the consistent production. And part of that too, is probably that he played so much last year. He played in 158 games. Um, I, I, I just really like it. I like him. I like him a lot because he is, he's so valuable in every category, but particularly steals and steals is, uh, it's, it's something I don't really want to chase this year if I can help it. Um, because when you end up chasing a category, especially speed, it just, it it gets, it really handicaps you at the end of a draft and it forces you to reach on players or maybe take players that you don't want to have to reach for. So, uh, the last thing I'll say about, about Maryfield that I like about him is, uh, he, he has the ability to hit, um, you know, he, he just sprays the ball all over the field. So that's one of the things I like about him is I, I feel like when I, when I did watch him play last year, um, it just always seemed like he, he always had a knack for dropping balls in just all over the place and getting on base. And that was, uh, made clear by his average. I mean, he had a 300, 300 average. So that's, uh, he, he's just, he's a great ball player. Uh, he, granted he's a little older, than what you see for for a breakout, but if you're playing in a redraft league, I see no reason to not want to uh, to to make him a part of your draft plans and put him on your team. Yeah, and so I don't really disagree with much of anything you said. Those were all fantastic points, uh, and I'm looking at his numbers, and I didn't realize that he had a 30 percent line drive rate. Yep. That's nuts. Yep. And into all to all fields, man. He's just he's a good hitter. Wow, that's very impressive. Now, like you said, he is going to be 30 years old this year. He's a bit older than we expected. He was a late bloomer. Um, 
And I remember last offseason, uh, before drafts for 2018, uh, he was a very um, kind of decisive or divisive, excuse me, divisive and controversial player because he had come up in 2017 and he put up those 34 steals, 19 home runs, and a 280 average. And it was so valuable because, like I said, he's giving you those steals while not killing you in batting average or power. And that's amazingly valuable in today's environment where steals are so hard to find. And the question was, okay, this guy's 28. He's never really done anything at the majors before. Can we count on him to do it again? Well, here he goes and basically has a better season, improving his batting average, stealing even more bases. Power went down a little bit, but hey, for the gains elsewhere, we can definitely take that. And so this year, I think everyone's just kind of all in. They're taking him basically as a third or fourth round pick, which he very well may be deserving of. However, I... I can't get past the fact that there. I think there's still a bit of bust potential left with him because he really hasn't done much prior to this. Like he, in the minors, he was putting up similar numbers, but that's again the minors. He spent three years in AAA from age 25 to 27 before he was even given an opportunity to play with the Royals, and that was when they were good. So like, they were good, but at the same time, he had the opportunity to play ahead of. Guys like uh, Bonifacio, I think, was their second baseman at one point. Yep. <laughs> and he was not good on a team that was vying for the World Series. So I think if they wanted to give him an opportunity, they would have. So I'm a bit concerned that there's still some like fallback here where he doesn't quite meet the standards that people are drafting him to. Like I could realistically see a world where he hits like... 265 270 which isn't bad by any means but it's not what you're drafting him for with the third or fourth round pick if he hits 270 hits like 10 home runs and steals maybe 25 30 bases that's still valuable by all means excuse me there uh, especially <laughs> because um like i said those steals are so valuable and if you can get a guy who'll give you 30 of them that's great. But if he's hitting 270 with 10 home runs, which again, I think is a possibility, then that he's just not going to be worth that third round pick where he's going a lot of times right now. So basically for me, it comes down to the short track record. Um, and the fact they just really didn't have that high of pedigree. Plus, like you said, his surrounding cast is nothing oh, yeah. to really write home about. Uh, Adalberto Mondesi might be awesome, um, maybe. Right, uh, or he might be terrible. <laughs> correct. We don't know. Uh, Sal Perez is probably going to be good when he's on the field. Um, I kind of like Ryan O'Hearn and Jorge Soler as mm-hmm. sleepers this year. Yep. But, I mean, as, like, deep sleepers. Right. <laughs> And then there's like Alex Gordon, who's supposed to be hitting second directly in front of Merrifield. So I don't like Gordon even a little bit, really. So the one thing I do really like about Merrifield is I think they're going to give him the green light pretty much all the time. Definitely. After they signed Hamilton, uh, Billy Hamilton there, it seems like with a team that has Adalberto Mondesi, Whit Merrifield, and Billy Hamilton... They're just going to let them run. I think that's kind of their plan in order to uh, produce offense is to manufacture it on the base pads, which, hey, if with those three players, they could 
those three combined could steal even 150 bases, the three of them combined. I would not be surprised if that happened. In fact, I might have a bold prediction that's something like that. Um, that's exactly, and that's exactly why I think I'm on board. Is th- that team? You know, they're not playing. It's it's similar to like the Orioles situation, where some of the arguments you can make for liking some of the Orioles players this year is, well, they've you know, like VR um, and who else are they going to play? Right? Who else are they going to play? Mullins. It's like, well, they they don't have anyone else. So, and they've got to manufacture runs because, you know, even though their team is not great they, they still want to win like these are humans who they they don't like being a laughing stock and stock and losing so that's that's one of the things i like about merrifield and his track record's not long but he ha- he does have two years now uh granted it's not two full seasons but um i think what is it like over 900 plate appearances of uh, a pretty good production at the major or, i mean it was almost the full season yeah 17, oh, yeah, 145 yeah. Oh, yeah, games. yeah so um Oh, 1300 plate appearances of yeah. good production. Yeah. So I, I think what it, what it comes down to is, you know, when I, when I'm doing rankings, I'm not always looking at necessarily where I think a guy should go, but what, where should he go relative to who's going around him? And so I look at Merrifield and I think what I really, and this is going to maybe be blasphemy to some people, but would I really take Starling Marte over with Merrifield? And I honestly, I wouldn't, this year, I, w- I love Starling Marte. Like I, I just think he's a great baseball player. He's overcome a lot, uh, and and I've had him on a lot of my teams. But I would I would rather have Merrifield because I think Merrifield's going to get you more steals. He's going to get you a better average, and uh, you know the Pirates aren't exactly going to be burning the the league down this year either. So like you, you look at players like that with similar um, who are going to help you in a similar way, and I would say I'd take Merrifield over Marte uh, every day. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I I think you had convinced me. I'll probably be moving Merrifield up a little bit here. Um, if I'm just looking at it off the top of my head, I'll probably move him over Juan Soto and George Springer. And it's gonna be Kane that's the one that's a real issue for me because right. I really like Kane's power, speed, upside as well. And that Brewers, <laughs> the Brewers lineup, and the so Brewers good. awesome lineup. Um, so I I can. Re- yeah, I'll probably be moving him ahead of Springer and Soto just because I. Well, we both like Soto. Yes. Uh, me, just not as much as everybody else apparently. Um, hey, I think the steals that Merrifield gives you are so valuable. Yes. So if if and, the only thing I can say that I did today was convince you to move Whit Merrifield ahead of George Springer, then I think I did my duty. Yeah. Well done, mate. Def- you definitely. Uh, you definitely did that. So I, I will be doing that. In fact, let me go ahead as we're on the air here. I'll just do that real quick. So making Merrifield now my 15th outfielder um, and bumping the other two down. So ta-da. Did the thing. I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> and there's one more you want to talk about just briefly. Uh, I know we're going a little long here, but so we'll t- we won't spend too much time on him. But you think I might be a little low on David Dahl as well. And I've got Dahl at uh, my 34th outfield spot at 107. I was a little surprised that you thought I was too low because I thought I was kind of aggressive because Dahl just can't stay healthy. I know he's awesome when he's on the field, but he just can't stay healthy. Um, I assume your argument for raising him up is he's awesome when he's on the field. Yep. 
if, <laughs> and if he stays healthy, he's going to be a top 20 outfielder. And I don't disagree at all. Right. It's just a matter of, it's a bet on the is health. Is he going to stay healthy? Yep. Yep. It's absolutely a bet on the health. So you had, a, you have him uh, 34 NFBC has him 20. I have him 21, um, which I actually thought. I didn't realize NFBC was that much. Higher yeah. Than, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like that seems aggressive. It, the dolls dolls a very um divisive player this year so you know there's always those players every year like Mondesi's one of those guys this year dolls one of those guys um I, on the pitching side uh you know marquez is one of those guys uh this year where i feel like people are either in or out but the thing is it only takes one person really to be in on them besides you to take them ahead of you so I, I really like Dahl, and it, and I would take him right about where he's going, which I think is is fair. But it, you're absolutely right; it's a, it's a bet on the health. If he's healthy, um, and he's batting, and that I think right now he's slated to be like third or fourth in the in the lineup for uh, the Rockies, um, he's he's going to be a monster. Uh, but it's it's all you know, is he going to be healthy? But I could say that about a lot of guys. So he's just a guy I think I'm willing to roll the dice on this year you know, as, as the Coors player. And I've been burned on that in the past, but he's, he's someone that I would definitely take where he's going. I love the profile. I love the, the, he's batting fourth. I just pulled it up. Um, I love the lineup that he's in. Um, it's just, hopefully he's going to give you 150 games. So while you were talking, I moved doll up. Um, he is now, I moved him from 34 to 31, bumped him ahead of D. Gordon, Malik Smith, and Mitch Hanniger. Basically took him above the Seattle outfield. outfield. (laughs) Um, And I've got him right behind guys like Will Myers, Michael Conforto, Tommy Pham, and Yasiel Puig now. And I feel like that's a good spot for him because I feel like all like Pham, Myers, Conforto, Puig, and Dahl all have upside that we can kind of dream on. Um, but they all kind of have some concerns as well. With Fam, it's are his eyes going to work? With Myers, is he going to stay healthy? With Conforto, is he going to stay healthy? Uh, with Puig, is he going to actually live up to the promise that we've seen? Is he going to get the playing time too? If he if he starts to slump, I think with that packed outfield in Cincinnati, that's going to be an issue. And of course, Dahl, we've talked about his health as well. But you're right, he his upside is enormous, and uh, he could hit 30 home runs and steal 20 bases. Like that's realistic, right? And that would that would be first second round value if that happens. So yeah, I'm moving up to around the hundred mark. And I do want to say around, like you were saying, uh, he is a very divisive player. His the highest he's been taken in NFBC since January first is forty first overall. The lowest he's been taken is a hundred nineteenth. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Which that's a steal. I can that that'd be that's awesome. a that's such a huge split. <laughs> It's a massive split. And what's funny is if you look at the guy ahead of him, Lorenzo Cain is uh, minimum 46, maximum 112. So similar there yeah. as well. Wow. So I guess some guys, you just you go get your guys, which I guess in a mock draft is fine. I, I don't think this NFBC data is any mock drafts. I think they're all real drafts, though. So, hey, man, if you want to go get your guy, I guess go do it. But if taking... Taking Dahl at 41 would be crazy to me with his kind of injury risk. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take him there, but I, no. I do like him. I mean, like, like you were saying, the upside is that 30-20 
Uh, and if and if he's if he's giving you thirty twenty, that means he's healthy for probably one hundred and forty or more games. Which right. which batting fourth in Colorado, that means he's going to be getting you over hundred RBI too. So that's, I mean, that is that that would win your league. It it would be like a first round caliber player basically. If he if he did that, then next year we will be talking about him uh, taking him in the second or third round. Right. It, that's where it's at. All right. Well, that was some great conversation overall. So just recapping real quick. Um, you thought I was a little high on Chris Bryant. Uh, you thought I was pretty high on Aaron Hicks, though I may have – it sounds like I might have convinced you. Swayed, yeah, you swayed me a little bit. <laughs> nice. I'm definitely high on Hicks, though, as like like we said, I'm, I might be the highest guy in the industry on him. Um, then we talked about Dave Peralta and D. Gordon a little bit. So the two low guys, uh, Juan Soto, you thought I was a little low on. Uh, Whit Merrifield, you convinced me to bump him up a little bit. And then David Dahl, you convinced me to bump him up a bit as well. So well done there. You got me on a couple, guys. So that was good. Great. All right. And as always, we're going to finish out our show with our community questions. Like I said before, you can send us those questions and we will read them on the air. You can send them to us at community at pitcherlist.com or tweet them directly to myself at Bristowski. So we just got one question this time, but it's kind of a multifaceted one and I really liked it. So we're going to kind of take a little bit of time on this one. It's from one of our supporters. Uh, from our Discord channel, from Larry King, he says, Given how outfield is shaping up, do you see a need to get a few outfielders early in the draft? Looks like a bunch of middling guys after maybe 25 or so. So that's the kind of first part of the question. Let's answer that one before we kind of get into the second part here. So um, do you think it's a good idea to get a few outfielders early? Uh, I actually I wrote about this in uh, in the draft guide for friends with fancy, fancy benefits and um, if you are going to wait on outfielders you need to have a plan um, I, I think the the misconception is because there's a lot of outfielders you can wait and you're just going to be able to get guys and and yeah for sure you can get guys to fill your lineup but that doesn't mean they're going to be good um, so my my strategy has generally been to uh, I want to grab a couple outfielders early if I can. I really like to get um, at least three uh, outfield. Depends on the again. It depends on the on the size of your league. So if I'm pay- playing in a 12 to 15 team league, I like to get three in the top 45 uh, or or even top 40, um, and then I'm going to wait and I can and and I like some of the values later. So um, yeah, I, I I'm going early on outfielders. I especially want to get if I can get one or two of my top 15, 16 guys. Um, but it just depends on your strategy. Yeah, I would agree in general. Um, and I think it depends a lot on whether you're playing in a three outfield or five outfield league. Oh, for sure. Um, like I've got one that's a four outfielder league, so it's a little in between. But if it's a three outfielder league, I think you can wait a little bit. I would still recommend getting one of like the top 20-ish because outfield is about where you can get a lot of power if you get someone like a Giancarlo Stan, or you can get a lot of speed if you get like a Marte or a Merrifield in those first 20. So there's so much upside with uh, outfield, I think it's worth grabbing at least one in your in any format um, of those top twenty guys. Beyond that, um, I agree with uh, Larry here. It gets a little middling after twenty five. Where it really gets to be iffy is 
really for me after guys like Malik Smith, which I have 33rd. After that, you get into some like um, D. Gordon, McCutcheon, Gregory Polanco, Piscotti, Nimmo, Robles, and it gets to be a little riskier, I think, and get a little lower upside. So uh, if you're in a five outfielder league, I think you should try to plan on getting um, at least three of the top 30. And I think that would give you a fantastic outfield because you can fill the other two spots because in a five outfielder league, if it's like 12 teams, nobody is going to have like five good outfielders. That's just not going to happen in the draft unless they use all of their first picks for the outfield and then their pitching and infield is going to be rough. Right. (laughs) But uh, if you can get two or three in the top 30 for a five outfielder league, that's a great spot to be in. If you are in a three outfielder league, like I said, one of those top 20 and maybe one of the another one in the top 30 would be good. But I think there are some interesting late, late, middle to late guys. Um, I like Framil Reyes. Uh, Jesse Winker is a guy I've gotten in a lot of mock drafts. Oh, I love Jesse Winker this year. Me too. And I think I actually kind of like that his ADP has been pushed down because um, we're not sure if he's going to get the plate appearances. I think his talent is so good that he's going to get pushed into some plate appearances. Yep. Um, so thanks for everyone pushing his ADP down. <laughs> so Framil Reyes, uh, Jesse Winker, um, I think Nomar Mazzara is an interesting play. Harrison Bader I like a lot for a power-speed combo. Um, even guys like Adam Eaton or Jose Martinez could be interesting players you could look at in the middle to late rounds to fill out your outfield. I know we're worried about uh, Eaton staying healthy, Martinez... Um, you know, finding playing time, but when they're on the field, those kind of guys have performed well. So there are some interesting plays in outfields in the middle to late rounds, but it does get rough. It does. It, there's there's value if you know. Again, like it's it's just about do you have a strategy? So the thing I love about outfield is there's so much versatility. You know, you look at at a position like first base, and if you if you wait on first base, you're you're probably still not going to take a guy, a first baseman, who is going to contribute with steals. But if you wait at outfield, you can still grab a steal specialist late um, or, you know, grab power if that's what you need. So just to be aware of, of where your deficiencies are in your team and and fill them appropriately, because there, there are values late. And, and to not get hung up on the names, I think we do that sometimes, because you can look all the way down at, at – Jay Bruce, for example, and someone's going to go, oh my gosh, Jay Bruce sucks. He's the worst. <laughs> you know, like I've had him, he's bad, it, but he's, you know, he's a good value for, for, and for as late as you get him, if he does suck, just cut him and film, fill his spot with someone else. Yeah. Um, I think he's going, let me pull him up. Seven, 72. Seventy second. Okay. So 72nd outfielder right at 280. 280. So that's like the last pick of your draft. Right. And he, that's a guy for a guy who's looking like he's going to get near 500 plate appearances. I think he's pretty much got a starting role out in Seattle. I think he's their DH, if I remember right. And that could be great for him because it could keep him healthy. I actually kind of like Jay Bruce this year as a sleeper. I think he could be a good value, and I think he's got potential to hit 25-plus home runs. Yes. Yeah, I agree. He's he's a guy that I am uh, grabbing in leagues where I need power late, and 
Um, you know, he's not he's not going to hurt you. And the thing that I think people don't realize is th- they hear Jay Bruce and they think that um, he's this ancient dude, but he's actually he's not that old. He's thirty two. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely. I would. He might be like over the hill as far as his prime. Yes, but I think he's definitely still got some value left. I would be remiss if I didn't mention a couple other names here. I'd, um, Billy Hamilton, we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, we were talking about him as like a fourth round pick a couple years ago. And now he's on a team that looks like they're ready to just let him run wild. And he's going 164th. And his uh, since January 1st, his max pick has been 299. Well, wow. I've seen him in the, I've seen him go in the pitcherless mock drafts. The one that Nick's been doing, uh, that have been on Periscope. I've seen him going like 200 plus and he could steal 60 bases this year. Yeah. Like that's not even a little bit out of the question. So I think he's got a, he's a good value this year. I know he won't give you much other than those stolen bases, but he could, he could buy himself win that stat for you week to week. Uh, Brandon Nimmo is another interesting name. Hunter Renfro. These are all guys that are going like in the 40 to 50 outfielder range. And I think there's, there is potential to find guys there. Um, but I mean, Hunter Renfro might not be starting in the Padres outfield all year. Same with um, Pramil Reyes. Like I talked about before all these guys around here are down here because well, either they haven't proved it before or they've got some downside. Right. So if find your guys that you like, figure out who you want. And I agree with you, Gabe. If you are if you have a plan, then you might be able to wait it out a little bit at outfield, but I definitely wouldn't want to go too far. No, I, I'm I'm all about grab a couple guys early and then just kind of uh, you know, feel out where the draft is going. And if you have to wait, um, there's there is good value later. Just know you're not gonna get a guy who's gonna be a five category contributor. Yeah, I agree. And I think we kind of answered the second part of that question there as we were going along. So I think that might do it for us here. Yeah. This was really fun. We had, it was a good time. And I think we had some fantastic discussion on some very interesting players. The outfield, especially at the high end, has got some amazing upside um, and could realistically be in those middle rounds uh, where you could win your draft if you've picked the right guys. Right. I, I agree. I think the you had mentioned him earlier, but the one last name I would throw out there as a guy who could be um, he's, he's someone I, I'm going to be trying to get on some of my teams is Victor Robles, just because he, um, you know, he, he could be a guy similar to some of the other steals pre- people we've talked about, but he could be a guy that's going to give you so many steals and give you an advantage in that category. Uh, and he's got he's got a, the role this year, so hopefully hopefully nothing tragic happens to him again. Um, but he's a guy I like a lot. Uh, is a middle outfielder. Good call. Alrighty, well, um, one more time. What is your Twitter handle, just so we can get all the folks out there giving you a follow? Yeah, it's at Gabe Zamit. So that's G A B E Z A M M I T. Perfect. And Gabe, you got anything else to say before we go? No, man, I'm just, uh, this has been great. I've just been sitting here chatting with you about baseball and, and, uh, my dogs have thankfully not, <laughs> I've got two dogs and they've just been chilling the whole time. They haven't barked or anything. So this has been great. Well, they are good boys. <laughs> All righty. Well, with that, 
my name is Austin Bristow, and for Gabe's Meat, this has been On the List. <laughs>